Yes, people, what's happening? And welcome to the Frankie Allen podcast. You are here with your host, Will Cranny, alongside the UK's most feared comedian, Frankie Allen. Frank, how are you today? I'm feeling great today, and Happy New Year to everybody who's out there. This is uh, RMC Compare Stroke Podcast Manufacturer, Will Cranny. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm Frankie Allen, the UK's most feared comedian. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. First podcast we've done of 2021 for anyone who listened or watched the last one. We wrapped up 2020 and we tried to turn things into a little bit of a positive. Everyone's had a tough year and we wrapped up 2020 with the highs and the lows and spoke about what we might have expected for 2021. For anyone who might be watching this outside of the UK or might be living in a fucking shelter or burying the dead in the sand. Frank, any news for the people? What's been happening in England? Johnson in came Britain, on, should I say? Johnson came on the TV last night, Boris Johnson, to say that although things are looking very optimistic at the moment, very optimistic, we've got the vaccine and it's getting rolled out as we speak. People are being inoculated, vaccinated, whatever the term is. Sadly, the figures have gone through the roof. The contagion um, is spreading like wildfire, so we've got to go into a national lockdown which we're in now, and uh, we've just got to roll with it. You know, isolation, shops closed, bars closed, gymnasiums are all shut. So very draconian. It's kind of like back to where we were 12 months ago. Okay, got the news last night at 8pm. I was actually watching Liverpool against Southampton. Unfortunately, Liverpool got beat. It was a bit of a snide game anyway, so may as well have watched Boris's speech instead. But did you watch the speech live? I watched the speech live. I mean, a lot of press leaks now, isn't it? Everybody knew what was coming. So all he did was confirm what everybody already knew, that we were going into another tier, which is, I think it's tier four, is it? It's not even a tier now. It's, it's higher than tier four. lockdown, yeah. So it's just very restrictive. It's heartbreaking, really, that people can't go to work. People can't make money. And as I've said before, all these government schemes... Um, cash back, fucking bounce back, whatever it is. An awful lot of people fall through the cracks. And you're not, fuming about that a little bit, able, aren't you? Yeah, they're not able to claim any money. How so, come you're fuming about it so much? Well, because I'm one of the victims yeah. that have fell through the cracks. I haven't been able to claim any money, even though I've paid my tax all my fucking life. You know, I've been legit. So just certain people who don't qualify for whatever reason below or above a certain threshold, you've got too much money in the bank, whatever the fuck it is, I haven't had a penny off anyone, just survived on my savings. And an awful lot of people all over the UK have had to do the same. And uh, it's just getting beyond the joke now. People's mental health really is at risk. A lot of suicides, a lot of people are feeling down because they just can't see a way out. Yeah, well, tier three is what Liverpool was in just before this lockdown occurred. Um, and the lockdown is actually above a tier four. So what it means is schools are shut. I'm sure everyone's aware of that, Like, but schools are shut, gyms are shut, all the rest of it. In tier three, actually yesterday, I'll just fill you in a little bit about what I got up to. Yeah. I was in the gym, 6 a.m. yesterday morning, did a weight session. I worked from home. Later on that day, I decided to go in, do a bit of cardio, do a bit of stretching, as young Dave has uh, taught me well on that one. And uh, I was in the sauna for about... 35 minutes and you know felt amazing afterwards fantastic for your mental health fantastic for your you know your physical health and your motivation helps you get more done helps you have a better day and I don't get now I know you're not a gym goer but maybe you'll understand this I don't understand how that's proactively sorry productive should I say to to shut gyms during the global pandemic because I just think as you've just said the mental health benefits and kind of the physical health benefits and the stress that that's going to cause on the NHS anyway is insane to have like fucking loads of people obese and like sitting on the couch yeah look it's like everything and anything else the government keeps saying that they can only be guided by the scientists and the, the latest data and what the scientists are saying but even the scientists say that there's no transmission between children or yeah. from adult to children. But they've locked down all the schools. So I really can't understand the government's position. I think that for whatever reason, they go into a kind of a... As the figures go up, 
they go into a kind of a panic mode. They've got no bottle at all, this government. They just go to pieces and uh, the first thing they think of, lock everything down, close everything, mm. which is very detrimental to mental health in a huge way, very detrimental to people's perceptions of what's going on. I mean, I'm not one of them, but a lot of people think, even if it's not a hoax, that things are greatly exaggerated. Yeah, It's as though the government go into panic mode and they should have a little bit more kind of uh, be brave, be braver about it and try to kind of, I don't know, kind of mitigate whatever they do by the fact that it can really alter and damage people's mental health. That makes sense. It does make sense, especially, you know, they're worried about what will happen on the back end of this, aren't they? That's the key. You know, they've got so many people that they would be beholding to if they caused or inflicted damage on people by just letting this fucking virus let loose. But what I'd say on that was, you know, we both spoke about at the very start of this, how it's unprecedented circumstances and whether it was, you know, the Labour Party, the Conservatives, whether it was the fucking Green Party, the Brexit Party, whoever was in charge at that point, whether you back them or you don't, you know, it's it's a, a global pandemic is something that is totally unprecedented and you have to back whoever's in charge at that point because, as you've always said, British spirit, we stick together yeah, and, well, and stuff. Well, no, I think the British people have been very loyal, blindly loyal, no, I agree. That's what I'm They've saying. Been fantastic. Everyone's been rowing with the government. We all row together. Yeah, we know we're all in it together. Mm-hmm. But to me, they don't seem to have thought this one out. I mean, an awful lot of children up and down the UK, all over the British Isles, really, are reliant on school dinners. And some families who are not too well off and might be struggling, single parent families rely on the dinner that the children get in school, free school dinners, to kind of keep them going, you know, keep them sustenance for the whole day. You know, some parents may not be able to give the children a big meal when they get home at night. And as we know, as we all know, even someone my age can remember, the school meals have always been very substantial, you know, full of carbohydrates, um, you know, three you, you used to get when I was in school. I'm sure they get it now anyway. Just the same, you get a dessert uh, alongside your meal. So a lot of the kids were relying, the parents were relying on school meals to keep the kids going. Now the kids and the single parents have to find money to buy another meal for the children. They might have two or three kids every day. So they've not really thought this one out to government, and they've not really legislated to allow, um, you know, support for, for, for parents who, who've, uh, who had kids in school for school meals. I mean, what's to stop the government allowing the kids to go to school just for the school dinner, then come home? I mean, we know it's very complicated. I know that they're doing the best that they possibly can, yeah. but on some things, I think they've got it wrong. They've allowed kids um, whose parents are key workers to still be in school for the time being. Um, what... My family member who was telling me he's, he's actually a teacher. He was saying, you know, some of these kids, like, they might not have laptops in there, or they might have like an old laptop from years ago, or they might be from a low income household where there's one computer to share around. I mean, that's probably not even low income households, that's probably most households. Yeah. You know, and you've got to take that all day to like <laughs> to work from. It's just, I mean, my personal opinion, look, we've said time and time again, um, Obviously, there's a killer virus out there, and you know it can it can dramatically um, affect people's health. But what you keep saying is the cure can't be worse than the cause. And I understand, you know, anyone who's watching this, my heart goes out to you if you've lost loved ones or or whatever. But there's lots of people who who are just totally decimated by this economically, from from a mental health perspective. I mean, for the two of us, I'm actually really pissed off now because. I've spent the last eight to 12 months trying to get live shows on the road. And like, for what? Like, why are they just continually putting roadblocks on our way if the end is nigh? Yeah, it's incredible, really. I'm sure you can remember because obviously you're an integral part of it. When we were working back January, February last year and started making noises about maybe there could be a lockdown, we moved everything 
All our dates on the shows were all sold out. So we moved everything, which was a lot of work for you to do. Mm. Very complicated, very difficult to do. We moved everything to September, I think it was. And uh, the government was saying at the time, you know, uh, in a couple of months' time, we'll get, once we kind of like um, lance the boil of this horrible virus, by the time we get to August, September, we'll be seeing the end of it. But that wasn't the case. And when we got to September... They came in with the second lockdown. We got a few shows in, came in with the second lockdown. So everything has had to be cancelled again. So it's absolutely horrendous what's gone on. Mm. People can't cope. People are taking their own lives. Families are splitting up. People who love the kids, obviously people love the kids, but they've got the kids 24-7 now. They're in the house. They're running around. They don't get a break to be on their own because the kids aren't allowed to go to school. Yeah. So it's an absolutely horrendous situation, which I don't think they've thought out properly. Interesting. And I'm sorry that we're starting this podcast on a negative vibe, but I'll just be totally honest with you. Um, you know, we were expecting positivity from April and, and we'd spoken numerous times over the last few weeks about how, you know, we kind of resigned ourselves to working in April, hadn't we? And that was what it was. So at the same time, we're possibly still in the same situation, but it's just tough for people to hear the news and to understand that, you know, you're going to be skint again. You've got to live off your savings or, you know, I get furlough, but it's like fuck all basically. Um, but look, I get fuck all, <laughs> nothing at all. Yeah. So if anybody's watching this, come and fucking investigate me. I haven't got a fucking penny <laughs> because I haven't worked for nearly a year. And the thing yeah. is, this is my living. Now I'm not moaning about me personally, there's millions of people all over the UK mm-hmm. who, you know, you can go... If you're not a public sector worker and you're self-employed, people are decimated. I've spoken to loads of mates of mine, people who promote shows, put shows on, people who work in clubs, people who own clubs, nightclubs, pubs, bar staff, door staff, security staff, people who work in car washes. It's all gone. People have no source of income. Yeah, and I think it's been very unfair the way that these things that have been planned. You know, the compensation schemes that the government have got these furloughs, bounce back, cash back, and as I've said before on previous vlogs, I've watched things on a TV. Guy in London who had a wine bar who applied for one of these government um, bounce back schemes, whatever it was, and all they did was give him the detail of his local bank and said, apply to your local bank. They're kind of in with the government. So he went to the local bank and they said, yeah, we'll give you like £25,000 loan, fucking 20% interest. Mm. So they've done very little, really, to help people. And I'm only surprised that there hasn't been a greater incidence of people taking their own lives, mental health issues, and even civil disobedience. Yeah, You know, I would have thought if this probably would have been in another country, a more volatile country, people would have been protesting in the street. But British people do kind of accept things and uh, try to get through things in their own way. He kicked but, off, didn't he, in one of the countries? They kicked off. But I think people are really reaching. To, I mean, if we don't get back to normal soon, I, I, I don't think two things are going to happen. People will not kind of, um, what's the word, They'll not go with a government directive. They'll start just blanking things, ignoring the law. They'll be going out. They'll be going to people's houses. People will start maybe, as it was in the 20s, America during Prohibition, when there was an alcohol freeze, you know, you couldn't buy now. People will start working behind the scenes, doing things illegal. Why like did they stop alcohol in opening. the 20s? Well, what it was, there was a temperance movement in the States, a religious movement, and somebody quoted something from the Bible. I don't know which branch it was of Christianity, but somebody said, look, you know, it's sinful to drink. So this temperance movement emerged where a lot of people were protesting, ban alcohol, ban booze, shut clubs down, shut nightclubs down. So in the end, the government came up with a prohibition order and banned nightclubs, uh bars, whatever it was in the States, from selling alcohol. Yeah. You couldn't buy alcohol in a shop. You couldn't buy it in a, in, in a market, in a store. You couldn't 
go to a nightclub and, uh, and order a drink. So what happened was, after a couple of years, people said, hang on, we're just not having this. So what they did, they opened up the nightclubs, opened up the bars, but they opened them up through the back door. People used to sneak in and uh, in cellars. In, and they were always getting raided and things, but they were called speakeasies. And uh, I can see, if it continues the way it is, we're going to get some kind of speakeasy emerging in this country. People like, people love, people must congregate. It's it's very difficult. It's like being on a desert island when you're quarantined and you're on your own. People are social animals. They want to mix with other people. And alcohol, you know, it reduces, it brings your inhibitions down, makes you feel a bit more relaxed. Some of the pubs, the British pubs over the years, have been at fantastic places for people meeting people, for people kind of like discussing politics and talking. It's great to talk. All that's taken away. A lot of people aren't very strong-minded and uh, they're really feeling down, depressed and anxious now. So that's what I think is going to happen. We're going to have kind of a speakeasy culture. Interesting. I mean, my structure's totally fucked for my day because obviously I'm in the gym at six. We were talking yesterday. I can't go like for a run or something at six in the morning because it's pitch black and it's icy. But it is what it is. I suppose we've got to crack on. Um, hopefully, as we said, the end is nigh. And if if this is a situation where things go are back to normal within twelve weeks, amazing. But I think a lot of people are seeing that the boundaries are constantly pushed, and this is constantly pushed back and back and back, so that they go. The majority of the public are like, well, you know, there's no end in sight. So that's why all these kind of like, you know, so-called conspiracy theories, quote unquote, by the way, to anyone listening, because, um, you know, I've got my own opinions on, on some of that stuff are, are, are arising. Yeah, British people are very slow to temper and they will kind of, they're very kind of British people are very, uh, what's the word, very agreeable in a lot of ways. You know, they, they, they've gone along with what the governments have been saying and they've been kind of like uh, trying their very best to cope. But in the end, if it goes on and on and on and on, what's the good of, of, of living a life in quarantine for years and years and years when your whole quality of life has disappeared? The point of living is gone. Yeah, you know, to socialise with people for the young kids. The young kids now can't go to discos. They can't go to nightclubs. How the hell are they meeting each other? How is a girl meeting a fella and getting a boyfriend? That was a, I was a, a young lad meeting a girl and getting a girlfriend. Yeah, there's nowhere they can't go out together. They can't even drive around, or they might get stopped. It really is a terrible invasion of civil liberties, and people are feeling now very oppressed. And pressed down by the weight of what's gone on. And there's only a certain amount people can stand. I don't think you're going to see kind of violence in the streets or whatever. People aren't like that. But you, you can feel that there's, that there's a kind of very, very sad atmosphere. Ah, now, there's really. an undercurrent. There's very horrible undercurrent where people are depressed and anxious and really feeling down. And, and the government must take this on board. That they, They've got the vaccine now. Let's get the vaccine out. But you can't go on forever trapping people like like, like a rat in a cage. Cages. It just won't do. People won't put up with it. Well, you know, we have spoken to, to different people who are actually getting the vaccine within the next couple of weeks. Um, I've spoken to places where the vaccine is being used as a you know facilitate sorry the venue is being used as a faci- as a facilitation center to roll the vaccine out so it definitely is in play so you know I'm, I'm not saying that that's not happening i'm curious from from your perspective yeah. as to what do you honestly gut feeling think will occur in 2021 do you think there will be some um Point, relaxation, you know, yeah. a relaxation well, to the point where it's you know it's semi-normal again. I think the governments and the government's advisors and the people who are in power have panicked an awful lot. Basically, they don't know what to do. Now we know Boris Johnson has had the virus. He was in hospital. He was very very ill, and he was lucky to survive. So I think that's made him even more afraid of the virus. You can see in his eyes when he's reading out all these instructions and directives. Johnson is scared. Every time that the virus figures go up, you can see the fear in his eyes. And, you know, he's got a good heart. He's a good man. He's doing everything he can 
to help the situation. But I honestly think that he's misguided. Now, as misguided as the government is, the government, I think, will see that the figures are going down once elderly people are inoculated, once the people in care homes are vaccinated, the over 65s, once they are all vaccinated, then, they, I mean, they're, they're the ones who are responsible for 70 to 80% of the deaths in this country through the virus. So once they are vaccinated, you'll see a tremendous fall in the figures of people, of the mortality rate for people who catch COVID-19. So once the figures plummet, which they will, once all the care homes are vaccinated, then I think you'll see a much more relaxed and a favourable attitude from the government that they'll start to relax things and um, continue with the vaccination programme. But I'm sure that once all the older people are vaccinated, that he'll take the, his foot off the pedal and things won't be as severe and as, uh, as draconian as they are now. Yeah, well, international travel's being banned, which I suppose is going to help massively if anyone, everyone is obviously confined to, to, to living in this country. also helps the economy to an extent. I know it's not going to have, you know, any dramatic impact. It's a drop in the water, but at the same time, it, it's going to help with, you know, spending your money here rather than thinking, fuck it, I'm going to go to Dubai or something like that and spend a load of dough because I can't hear. Yeah, no. but, but what I'm interested in is that was quite positive from you, to be fair, to say w once these figures drop, because for me, I don't really watch the mainstream news. I don't really watch TV and stuff like that. So I just hear bits and bobs and I just I just keep thinking, fucking hell, not again. Uh, here we go again. Groundhog Day, you know. Yeah, well, look, I've studied a lot of these uh, conspiracy theories. I've tried to read between the lines of what the governments are saying, what the conspiracy theorists are saying, and what are people who've got a kind of like middle view. Yep. And uh, from what I can gather, the truth of the matter is that very few people under the age of 50 die through the virus. And anybody who does has underlying health issues, which basically means they were dying of something else anyway. They were very ill anyway. So once we get the figures down of the people in the care homes and the elderly who are dying, anybody over 65, 70, once we eradicate those figures from the, from the sum, then people will realise, look, there's not that, and the government will realise, you know, the, the figures have plummeted now, so let's go for it, let's relax, get people back to work, get the kids back in school, and try to get some kind of normality back in the UK, because people have really had enough. I mean, talking, you know, for myself, when the news first broke last year, we were going into a lockdown, into quarantine, I thought, well, yeah, you know, we'll go along with it, and I never dreamed that I'd ever be anxious or I'd never start getting depressed or I'd never kind of like be fearful for the future, which I am now yeah. because it's gone on for too long and they must get the vaccine rolled out as soon as possible. A lot of people have said to me, they seem to be dragging their feet over the vaccine. They say they've got millions of shots of the vaccine to give to people, but you don't see tents on the corner of every street in the UK where volunteers are giving the vaccine to people like it should be, they're kind of slowing down now, saying, oh, yeah, February, it could be March, it could be the beginning of June by the time everyone's inoculated. Why aren't they going for it, you know, uh, as a kind of, like, uh, emergency measure, which it is? They don't seem to be that kind of enthusiastic about vaccinating people. So it's all it's all a bit strange, yeah, this is purely hypothetical, but, you know, if you were in power, let's say tomorrow, someone said, Frank Yallen, Prime Minister of Great Britain, yeah. what would what would be your first move? What would you be doing? First move I'd do is to roll out this vaccine. I'd have every health worker, I would enlist every retired GP, every retired nurse, anybody who could give the vaccine out, I would have marquees on every corner, on every city, on every town, on every village in the UK, making sure, working through the night, every day, morning, noon and night, to have the army involved, transporting the vaccine around the country, so that within a matter of weeks, 
the whole population of the UK had been vaccinated. Now, they could do that within a month if they did what I'm saying now and went into really high-speed gear and done everything 24-7, people working through the night, get the army, the navy involved, use these Nightingale hospitals, which are doing nothing, there's nobody in them, use the Nightingale hospitals as vaccination centres, get everybody inoculated, and within a few weeks, everyone would be vaccinated and we'd be back to normal. But they're just taking too long to do it. For whatever reason, they're playing into the hands of the conspiracy theorists who are saying, no, the whole thing is a sham. So why aren't they quicker with the vaccination? That's what I want to know. And if it was me, if Frankie Allen was the Prime Minister tomorrow morning, I'd say, right, straight away, get the army mobilised. The army set up camps everywhere, compulsory. If you're not in if you don't go alive, you say, no, I don't want the vaccination, say, okay, we'll go to jail. We must Would you have that, honestly? Yeah, it will. Ah, fuck that. Nah, I'm not having that part. Why not? I know exactly what you're saying. Look, I've got to play devil's advocate here. You can't tell people the vaccine is compulsory, and I think that that's when we talk about people having different opinions about what is actually going on. We're talking about having a COVID passport, but, like, let's be honest, I I listen to, you know, that's my bag. I listen to, like, these really top, health professionals in the world, Ben Greenfield, Dave Asprey, some of these people who are really, really unbelievable in the field. And they're talking about, they've, they've got no problem with the virus itself. It, sorry, the vaccine itself, should I say, for being able to inoculate people. But it's the fast rollout that might be an issue. And that's why people are a little bit cautious about it. Look, I'm not an anti-vaxxer by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not, you know, it doesn't bother me. But what I'm saying is you can't make it compulsory because that just takes away people's freedoms. And as me and you always talk about, freedom of speech is being taken away anyway. So you can't take away people's rights like that. I champion freedom of speech and we've lost freedom of speech in this country. Now it's going to be very difficult. It's very difficult to have to say anything that's really on your mind if uh, the powers that be, the social elite who think they're better than everybody else, if they don't agree with you, you can't really have an opinion now if it's not the established opinion yeah. of of the elite. But having said that, this is a thing which is threatening every man, woman and child in the country. So it's all right for someone to say, yeah, I don't want the vaccine on moral grounds. You're not forcing it on me. Yeah, that's okay. But that person could give the virus to somebody who's going to die from it. So we need the consensus is... We all want to live. There's very few people in the UK who want to die. You know, people don't make careers of suicides. We all want to live. We all want to live as, as long as we possibly can. So if that means that everybody in the UK gets vaccinated, make it compulsory. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you could be, what's the word now that they're using for, for when you've got the virus? Asymptomatic. You could have the virus display no symptoms, go on your merry way, you never take ill, you could give that virus to like 100 people who die from it. So if vaccination is the way forward to stop everybody, it's only a fucking needle to stop everybody. I mean, they brought out polio injections in the 50s. No, nobody's, no, no, no parents ever kind of objected to their children being vaccinated against polio. It saved their lives. If it saves your fucking life, what's the problem? We'll see. Let us know in the comments what you think. You know, I'm, I suppose this is going to spark a lot of debate um, and not so much that I would like to sit on the fence with this, but, you know, there's arguments to for and against uh, each side of this. I totally understand what you're saying there. Basically, you're saying if you're young, fit and healthy, you know, if you're somebody like myself, no underlying health conditions in the gym, looking after themselves, etc., cetera, um, good immune system, I could potentially pass that on to somebody who's got underlying health conditions yeah. and and that could cause an issue for them. However, if that person is vaccinated, because I'm kind of bottom of the list, basically, yeah. what you're saying is if those elderly people or those people who are in vulnerable positions are vaccinated, then potentially we could just get on with our lives and it wouldn't have to be made compulsory at that point. Well, they could take the, the foot off the pedal a little bit, but we're talking and we've spoken about and it's a huge issue and a part of what's going on mental health issues yeah now if you were vaccinated wouldn't you feel better going you know going 
through your day knowing that you're vaccinated and that you were safe? Wouldn't you drive around with a, 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 a better attitude? Everybody now is fearful. Everybody's living under this cloud where I could go home tonight and collapse, take ill. I could be on a fucking ventilator by 10 o'clock tonight. I could be dead tomorrow. This is at the back of everyone's mind. Now, if you were inoculated, vaccinated, that fear would be gone. So that's uplifting people's mental health a thousandfold. Yeah, it makes sense. So if somebody said to you now, if you got a text and it was like, NHS, come and get your vaccination, would you get it today? I'd get it today, yeah. And and that's... And I think, as we all know, as we've spoken about, I've actually had the virus, or we think we've had it. Yeah. You know, we displayed symptoms in March and April, and we, I was quite ill with it, really. But got over it, which a lot of people have. And a lot of people in the UK, I'd say a third of the population, have probably had the virus and battled through... Uh, thinking it was flu or whatever it was, or even pneumonia. But yeah, look, if you're vaccinated, you'd be you wouldn't give a fuck about who you met, about covering your face. You'd just feel great. So it's like we're in the lottery, getting vaccinated. As far as I'm concerned, mental health wise, I mean, you could sit down and talk forever. I think this is wrong. This is an invasion of civil liberties. Giving people an injection. I mean, when you if you had a heart attack and you're in hospital and a doctor said, yeah, we'll put him on, like, we'll, we'll, we'll get a defibrillator and bring him back to life. Is that an invasion of your civil liberties? Somebody's giving you something. It's only the same. They're giving you something that's going to, is medically going to improve your situation, potentially save your life. Mm. So why are people taking it on board as a kind of Orwellian, kind of sinister... Um, conspiratorial thing that's going to destroy you in some way. Because I think people's businesses have been decimated. People's mental health have been decimated by the fact that they can't communicate. Everyone's isolated. You can't do exactly what you've just said. You can't go and sit in the pub and have a conversation with five of your mates and say, look, this is how I feel about it. Let's have a healthy debate. Instead, you're forced to look online where there's so much that you can delve into. Yeah. And you know, once you're down that rabbit hole, boomf, that, yeah, you know, I, you, you, I mean, you can yeah, continue to go I, and go and go. I've seen a lot of things, conspiracy theorists. I really don't know where the truth is, but if the vaccination makes you feel as though you're protected in some way, in one way or another, that you can walk around and, and, and things are going to come back to normal once everyone else in the UK is is, is, is uh, vaccinated. Why not go for it? Why be stubborn and say, "Well, you're not vaccinating me"? And for all you know, you could have the, you could be asymptomatic, not display any symptoms. And while the government is trying to like inoculate all the country, you could be the one that's a super spreader. So no, I don't agree. This is one area of our lives where we can't start saying, you know, no, look. Look, I don't want it. It's my right as a human being. I'm denying this vaccination. We just can't do it. It's too serious. Okay, really interesting. Food for thought for a lot of people. Let us know in the comments. Let us know what you think. And uh, hopefully Facebook, YouTube, don't pull us down. We're trying to have a healthy debate about no, this. No, we haven't said anything contentious. Yeah. We're only saying what most people speak about in the shops and in the streets, behind their masks. You know, we, we, you know I'm all for civil liberty, I really feel as though the things have gone wrong in this country with regard to freedom of speech and certain other rights that people used to have that they haven't got now. But with regard to the vaccination, I just think people have got to kind of like grin and bear it, you know, fight the bullets. what you're saying is, that, and, and somebody did say this to me a couple of weeks back and it was it was food for thought then, they said, basically, if you could take the vaccination and your life was back to normal, what you're trying to do is, one, alleviate the fear that you've got right now because you're feeling slightly fearful of the virus well, of itself. Course, we yeah. know people who, you know, and, and our heart goes out to those people who've been affected by this. There's, there's actually close friends of ours right now that are in hospital, not on ventilators, but on oxygen Very with this Ill. virus, aren't they? So um, that we that we found out, you know, over the last week or so. A friend of ours, a good comedian, is out there and he's in hospital, he's taken ill. And, uh, you know, I sent him a text message last night and he's a great lad mm. from the Midlands. You know, it's affected everybody. But isn't, you know, we talk about the cure can't be more severe than the disease itself. But if there is a cure out there and all it takes 
there's a needle in your arm. Fucking hell. Why not go for it? Yeah, it makes sense. That makes sense. But I think the key for everyone is everyone just wants their life back and everyone just wants, you know, to be able to fucking do normal yeah, stuff. I, I, I was with a lad yesterday in the sauna and he said to me, look, Will, he said, and I, we don't know each other, by the way. Yeah. I literally, I was sitting in the sauna just talking to people because yeah. I just wanted to have communication with people. Talking to this lad and he said, look, I work nights, I work in Jaguar, I'm on the line. I, uh, on the factory line, I have a little dog. I bought myself a dog during the lockdown to have somebody to talk to and just jump some company. All I do is I go to work, I come in the gym, I walk my dog and he's like, this is going to kill me off again. Well, look, you know, people are social animals. We have to intermix. We have to kind of conversate. We need to express our opinions about what's going on in the world. We need to go to football matches. We need to congregate. People aren't wired to be alone as though you're on a desert island. It will affect everybody's mental health. Mm-hmm. And what I've said and what I'm saying now, we do realise these are unprecedented times. We know it's an invasion of your privacy and your, your right as a human being to get something which you haven't asked for. But if it's saving your life, and potentially saving the life of millions of other people, get it done. And then that's the time afterwards when you can sit on your high horse and say, well, he shouldn't have done this, we shouldn't have done that. You know, me for one, I blame the government in a lot of ways on the way that the virus had proliferated throughout the UK. The virus was kind of like exploding in Spain and the British government allowed uh, a football match to go ahead in Liverpool here. You know, it was Madrid that allowed to fly over to... Thousands of Spanish people came here. Yeah. And then they allowed Cheltenham to go ahead, where I know for a fact I've got friends who've been there and and caught the virus and a couple of people who've died that I knew personally through going to Cheltenham. They should have drawn the draw, pulled the drawbridge up straight away, and they didn't do. They just let a lot of functions go ahead, a lot of football matches go ahead for months and months and months, and then... It just exploded. So the government have got blood on their hands as far as I'm concerned. They didn't act quickly enough. But, okay, look, what's happened has happened. Now we all have to row together. Thank God. No one is kind of... You've got to thank God we've got the fucking vaccine that can stop you dying. So for someone to say, I don't want the vaccine, this isn't right, then you could get the fucking virus a few days later and die. How silly are you? How silly is that? Just on moral grounds to say, I don't think this is right. I Well, oh, you don't think this is right to get vaccinated? Well, go and fucking die. I'll get it and I'll live. Interesting. I'm sure you'll have a lot of uh, different opinions on that. Let us know what you think. As we've said time and time again, I, I don't think it, it's on moral grounds a lot of the times with basically just people saying, I don't want the vaccine due to the fact that, you know, it, it might cause me health implications, which is their right to do so and fair play. But people, as you said, have got other opinions about what's going on and that's their right and that's their opinion and fair play to them. You know, I, I, I would say my my opinion on it is it's your fucking choice. Do you think? Well, it's your choice. It's your choice if you live or die. And this is exactly what the choice that they're making. You know, it's it's proven. It's proven that this vaccine that's been brought out, AstraZeneca, the Oxford vaccine, will give you 95% efficacy, which means if you get injected, the next day you go out and you meet someone who's got the virus, you catch it, you will not take ill, you will not die. I mean, it's to me, it's just a black and white thing. I can't understand anybody go, well, look, I don't want... And what happens if you're on a ventilator the next fucking day? Are you lying there? Fucking, a lot of people are going to regret what they've done, aren't they? A lot of people are going to regret lying. They'd be lying there, very ill, dying, going, fucking hell, I should have took that vaccine when I had the chance. Just a fucking needle in your arm <laughs> to save your <laughs> life. Yeah. But you don't... It's like me saying, look, you're having a massive heart attack in the corner. Yeah. And I go, yeah, I've got a tablet here which could save your life. Imagine you go... <gasps> I don't agree. I don't agree with the, the, the tablets. No, I don't agree with it. Then you die. Okay, fucking die. If I'm having a heart attack, doctor says take this tablet. I'll fucking take it. Yeah. Having said that, though, that what they talk about with the PCR tests, 
basically you have to amplify whatever uh, virus is in is in your body by a, a trillion times to be able to pick it up. So what they're saying is a lot of people, I don't know, look, fucking... Look, nobody it's above my knows the no answers. One knows. Yeah. Nobody knows. The government don't know, even the people that have made the vaccine. We're all kind of on a wing and a prayer. We're all keeping our fingers crossed, hoping for the best. But to me... I mean, everyone, a lot of people are going to disagree with me, and that's your right. Yeah. Um, and I applaud that, you know, everyone's got different opinions. They should all be heard. But, I mean, at the end of the fucking day, what it's like, it's like you being in a lifeboat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, <laughs> yeah. and you've been there for a week. You're dying. You've had nothing to drink or eat for a week. You know you'll be dead in a couple of days. And the next thing is a cruise ship goes past and they're all waving to you and you shout, no, no, I don't agree with getting rescued. I'm sorry, fuck off. Nah, there's more to it than that. I'm sorry. There's more to it than that. But look, enough negative talk. We've been on for 41 minutes now. And and I think it's it's very healthy what we've spoken about because it's, it's our anxieties. It's how we're feeling. As I said earlier, I'm the most positive person to be around. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not blowing my own trumpet there and saying that, but I think most most people who know me would know me as a positive person. And I'm pissed off, pissed off at the moment because it just seems like there's roadblock after roadblock. And I've decided, and I'll tell you this now while we are here, yeah. that I don't want to put any focus on live events anymore because what's the point? We can later on in the year, but yeah. I think the primary focus for us right now should be putting out as many podcasts as we can, putting out as many vlogs as we can, selling merchandise, doing memos, doing, doing vlogs, cameos, doing live gotta be done. Just to keep ourselves occupied. And also, you know, we're providing a service to people who are out there in the same boat as us. That's what I always think of. You know, there's possibly people, people who've got no families. So, you know, a lot of people may through whatever have got no families and they're on their own. And what I always say to people on the live broadcasts and on these blog podcasts, and even when we do the vlogs, Speak to people, keep communicating. The only thing, the only way that you're going to maintain your mental health is sharing your problem with someone else. You know, we're social animals, human beings like to intermingle, intermix, communicate. You've got to conversate with other people. And a problem shared, it really is a problem halved. So do your very best, uh, even if you just you can't, you know, the, the legislation says you can't go out wherever you are. Just if you're going out for your exercise once a day, try and speak to someone else who's in the park, even if it's at a distance, even if the postman, even if you speak to someone through the letterbox, it's great. You've got to communicate for mental health. That's what I'm saying. Now, anyone who's watched this and thinking, oh, Frankie, you know, you're wrong, whatever, that's my opinion. And we're all human beings. We're all very different in every way. You know, I've been very ratty during this lockdown. I'm a bit of a narc anyway, but it's maybe a hundred times worse because I feel frustrated that I can't work on the clubs as a comedian, which has been my whole life has been taken away from me, something I love doing, and I've got to try to adapt to it. So we're all different, and we've all got different opinions. So if somebody's got an opinion, oh yeah, I think it's a conspiracy, you shouldn't have an injection, I respect that, but respect mine, and try to take mine on board, and try to... Um, turn things over in your mind well what's the best thing to do for me and for my family if you've got a family and as I say it's, it's just an opinion I'm expressing just like Will's expressing is fair play so you know as we've said community does go a long way you need to communicate and that's why we've decided to put a lot more time and effort into podcasts vlogs into anything that we can do with regards to to reaching out to, to people and providing content for them we're actually going to do a mobile phone calling and um, we're going to do that over the next couple of weeks which uh, we haven't actually spoken about yet so we'd be looking forward to, to hearing that's, that's going to be great when people are actually ringing up and uh, we can speak to them online that'll be fantastic that's something really to look forward to yeah nice one uh, vlog is out now from Chesterfield if anyone hasn't seen it you can go to YouTube check out the latest Chesterfield vlog you watched it last night what did you think of it fantastic it's dead funny Brilliant. Um, you'd have to watch it, really, because if, if you haven't watched all the vlogs, um, you may not realise, if you watched last night's vlog, that there's a few kind of in-jokes, things that have been running jokes with me and Will and Kilvo 
for the last like nine months or 12 months or whatever, little funny things, strange things that have been going on and on. Because I was thinking last night when I was watching it, you know, we were talking, even this thing, they say, look at the root on him. They're trying to make out I've got a big dick, him and Kilbo <laughs> taking the piss. Yeah. Um, and then people might have been watching it last night thinking, what the fuck is he on about? Kilbo saying, you know, I'm going to go in the car wash in the morning. Frankie, I'll ring you up. We'll, uh, you come to my house and we'll go round the houses selling bleach from door to door. All it is, Will wasn't in the room. So because he wasn't there, Will's the boss of me and Kilbo. He pays us. So we were kind of like having a bit of a go at Will, taking the piss out of him, more or less saying that he's mean with paying us and he's slow paying us. So every now and then, me and Kilvo have a bit of a laugh over it. It's nothing vindictive, it's just a bit of fun. And, you know, we say to each other, we say to each other like when we're, we're talking like uh, on Facebook or whatever, we say to things like, you know, um, I found a few uh, coins in the back of the couch and I'm taking them to get cashed in. Yeah. Uh, because uh, there's nothing in the bank from Will this week. And we just have a bit of a laugh, a running laugh. But if you didn't know that, you know, you might have been a bit kind of like uh, last night watching it and thinking, what the fuck's this all about? Don't understand it. Yeah, yeah there's 49 vlogs out right now. The 50th vlog's coming very soon. And, um, you know, can't thank you all enough for your support. If you've watched this, please do give us a thumb up. Get yourself subscribed to the YouTube channel. The podcasts are going to come at least every other day, I reckon, now. What do you think? Yeah, we're going to start doing them all the time now to keep ourselves occupied. And as I say, me and Will don't agree on an awful lot of things. The vaccine is one of them. There's people out there that might agree with me, people who totally disagree with me, people who've got a kind of a you know middle ground. So, you know, as I say, it's only an opinion. We're just saying, well, I'm only saying what I think is the right thing to do, not to persuade you or dissuade you in any way. I'm waiting for the trolls to come for you. <laughs> anyway. Uh, let the trolls come and say what they want. <laughs> Everyone as a human being, you're entitled to your own opinion. <laughs> nice one. So tell us about, you know, how are you handling this week? Oh. What, something that you love doing, uh, cafes which are open in tier three in the UK, are obviously now shut. Yeah. Um, for me, a huge part of my life is going to the gym. That's now uh, something that I can't partake in, um, going there and, and training. Tell me, how is this going to change your life? Well, this is this and... is really not good. It's not good at all because I go to a cafe every morning, or I used to before yesterday, and um, you used to go to the gym. People used to go to places. People used to go shopping every day, mm. you know, to the butchers or the supermarkets, wherever they go. Now, all these things... I've seen you in the butchers. I saw you in the butchers. <laughs> hey, go I on. was in the butchers, and I said to the butcher, hey, mate... Is that a pig's head in the window? And he said, no, it's a mirror. Oy. So, yeah, yeah, okay. Go on. So, these are all social events, and you don't realise till they're taken away from you. That go in the cafe in the morning, go in the gym in the morning, going shopping, going to a sauna, going for a walk in the countryside. These are all social events because you're mixing with other people and you're doing something that you feel as though is beneficial to you. This uh, is uh, is great for your well-being. And once that is taken away from you, when you can't go to a cafe, when you can't go to a sauna, when you can't go to the gym, when you can't go for a, like, 30-mile drive, all these things are taken away from you. It does, sadly, diminish you and, and your well-being and can be very depressive. Well, something that I've thought of throughout um, the last 24 hours is how we're going to approach this next period up until, I'm thinking March, so let's say eight to 10 weeks. And work is essential, so obviously we're allowed to do this podcast. But I just think if we're going to plow all of our focus into this and people are allowed to travel for work yeah. and work is essential, we may as well interview fucking everyone, all of our mates, anyone who we think can give you a bit of motivation, can give you a bit of a lift. I mean, we've got friends that we've met through these type of circles. You know, Billy Moore, great lad. It was his birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Billy. He's got a fantastic podcast, the All or Nothing podcast. The Mind PT, Phil Steele, one of our mates. You know, all of these people, I think, could add a lot of spark to people. And, and we're, we're very lucky that we've got a lot of friends and associates um, up and down the UK, all over the world, really, that we could 
introduced to the podcast, which would be very, very interesting, fascinating to a lot of people, who uh, a lot of famous people, a lot of people who aren't famous, but basically people who are very interesting people. And uh, once we get them on, it's going to be brilliant. It's going to be a brilliant thing to do, to do them all the time and uh, to introduce the general public to, to these fascinating characters that which we've got in our lives. So on that note, we've been on here for 50 minutes. Throughout this 50 minutes of this podcast, we have had a special guest in the room and uh, a lot of people will know this guy from the vlogs, from doing live videos and stuff like that before. What's his name, Frank? His name is Young Dave. And Young Dave's been a friend of mine and a friend of yours now for many years. And uh, Dave is a kind of a star in his own right. He's become a star uh, through coming around the clubs with us on some of the vlogs and some of the live uh, performances we've done. But basically, he's a kind of like a living legend around Merseyside and Manchester because he's associated with a lot of Hollywood stars. He worked in Granada Television for many, many years, got to meet people, huge stars, Hollywood stars on a personal level, Robert Wagner, Natalie Wood, film stars in the 50s, 60s, 70s, a lot of Coronation Street stars were personal friends of his. Then he moved to the Empire Theatre in Liverpool. He's worked in the Royal Court, Liverpool, all over the country, different theatres, different TV stations, radio he's very well known in, and he's a friend to the stars. Mr T, if anybody remembers Mr T, star of the A-Team, um, became a very close personal friend of his. So uh, And Tom Jones. Tom Jones. Mad no, when you mad when you reel it off these, like that, but these look, guys, living legends have become personal friends of his. Look, I may as well hand this over then, Frank. I think uh, I've done my interviewing for the day, and I've done it in, a, in quite a cool way. I'm, I'm I'm pleased with myself today, but it's over to you now to interview this man. So for the final 10, 15 minutes of this podcast, I'm going to leave you with Frankie, and I'll bring on Young Dave. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. If you have enjoyed this podcast, do give it a five-star review. Tell us what you'd like to see in future podcasts. I'm going to try uh, to accommodate the situation, what you ask for. Certainly. Give us a thumb up, get yourself subscribed. I'll leave you with the bonus part at the end of this episode. And uh, before he goes, Go big shout-out to Will Cranny. Nice one. Who, through this uh, terrible, terrible time that we've gone through, has kept everybody afloat, both financially... Uh, with the little things that he's done, the shout-outs, the memos, um, the way he's generated um, income for himself and for Jimmy Kilvone, for a few other people. He's really been a star, so he should be recognised as uh, he's really been a kind of uh, a life belt in the sea of despair. Nice one, appreciate it. So I'll leave you with Frankie Allen and the legend that is Young Dave. Enjoy, and we'll see you on the next one. Uh, here's Young Dave. Now some people may recognise him from some of the vlogs that we've done up and down the country. There he is without his mask on. Hello, mate. Let's sign light in the atmosphere. I think we've spoken of too course, long, really, about yes, this fucking uh, virus. Dave, of all the stars that you met when you, when you worked at Granada Television, when you worked the at Empire, the Empire Theatre, who would you say, um, I mean, we'd all like to meet these famous people, these stars, was there anyone particular that was really, really charismatic where you really felt bowled over, where you thought, fucking hell, I've met someone very special there. Um, it, it's going through my mind now, there's a few, obviously what stands out as a gentleman was Tom Jones. No sides to him, he's just a lad from the valleys. Who, you know, to a lesser degree like myself, who got lucky in the job and the career I had. But a guy who was really, really a lovely fellow was Dave Essex. David Essex, and, yeah, uh, was a big singer. Some people may not remember, but yeah. he had a string of number ones, a huge star in the uh, in the seventies, the early seventies. Yeah. A London boy, David Essex. But what what I'm trying to say is, I, I know a lot of them, you know, have been nice people and, and down to earth, like Tom Jones. There's no airs and graces. He's not uh, big headed in it. But is there anybody that when you actually met them, that you felt? Stardust coming off of them as though a uh, charisma, as though you'd as though you'd met Elvis Presley, like you think. You know, so you send a shiver down your spine. Was there anybody yes. that you came across that you kind of like went fucking hell? This is a star. Now, now this is one man, and he was in his eighties. Was Larry Olivier? Lawrence Olivier. He's just he's just this little slight five foot four fellow with a neat scotch in his hand. He was just. 
But he came on with that charisma, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Connery. And Sean Connery, James Bond. So these people, Sean Connery and Laurence Olivier, a lot of people remember Sean Connery as James Bond, but they may not remember Sir Laurence Olivier, Olivier, who was a huge star after the war, you know, for many, many years. And he was knighted by the Queen, huge in America, all over the world, all over the English-speaking world, in movies. So you'd say he had charisma, did he? Oh, in abundance, even in his 80s. Can you tell me about the circumstance? Because I'm a big fan of Sean Connery, James Bond, as he was. Um, can you tell me about the circumstances, about how you met um, Sean Connery and, and what he was like with you? What did he say to you? How did he converse with him? Oh, that, that was briefly, that was that was in Malaga Airport. <laughs> yeah, briefly. Malaga Airport. Yeah, yeah, because I was on... Just speak up a little bit. Then. Sorry, I was on a flight back from... Uh, we'd been in Marbella for a week and... Uh, we were flying into Heathrow and there was all this commotion going on and he was sitting there with his wife like one of the lads in a big Ralph Lauren shirt, pair of jeans and flip-flops reading the paper. So I just caught his eye and said hello. And He worked with Norman Rossington. Rosie was an old mate of mine. They did the longest day together. And Rosie gave me... Yeah, Rossington was an actor, a Liverpool, Liverpool actor. actor. Yeah, Rosie gave me a press photo of him and Connery in the longest day. Okay. So I just had a brief chat with him. Uh... I said, I'm only like this bull because he said, don't worry, son, it suits you. And uh, I just said, so-and-so, where it'd been? He said, oh, he said, it must be paying you too much money. And um, said hello, mentioned Rosie. And, uh, and but he, was, he came across as a nice oh, guy. yeah. But, 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 but what I'm trying to get at, yeah. I'm trying to find out, you know, is there anybody where you were kind of like starstruck? Was, was, was he, could you see kind of like stardust emanating from him? Was he kind of like... Oh, yeah, was, great was, charisma. Did, did I mean, charisma, yeah. Uh, me, personally, I... I was never like in shock and awe. I respected people I'd worked with, but I wasn't like. Yeah, but you were kind of used to it. You, well, you know, exactly. because of all the thousands of stars that you met. You know, yeah. But, but what but I'm trying people, to get out was that uh, anyone no, in particular from Frank, yeah, yeah. That, that you kind of like really made a huge impression yeah. on you. And for the rest of the day or the rest of the week or whatever, you thought, fuck, you know, I'm never going to come across anybody like him again. Well, well another guy, another little fella, Davy Jones, had the monkeys, what a lad. And, yeah. and, and the stories. Yeah, the Monkeys were a, were a band yeah. similar to the Beatles, really. America's yeah. Answers to the Beatles, although he's from Manchester, Davy Jones. Lovely fella. In the, in the 60s. And you met him and you, and you got quite close with Davy yeah, Jones, didn't you? We were doing, it was 7980 Panto. And Boyce and wrote a lot of the Monkeys hits. Bobby Boyce, she was Davy's PA. I mean, we, we got on that well. We always used to play at the Rodney Youth Centre footy. But didn't he stay in your house, you yeah, said, when he was well, working well, on the Empire? Him and Bobby come back. Well, just for the light, we got back to ours. And the story goes down, we had the old Alecky meter. And my mother had money, but no 50p's. We walked in, there was candles all around the house. So I walked in and my mother... <laughs> my brother threw the echo over his head. And my sister then was in bed. And he said, what's going on here? Is the sale to my mother? Went, um, you haven't got a 50 pence, have you? <laughs> <laughs> so I had one. I threw so it the, in the electricity had run out. Yeah, yeah. the lucky run out. But she had money but no 50p's and it just went on from there. And, uh, but he, he had a certain amount of charisma, didn't oh, he? Oh, yeah. Well, Davy Jones, yeah. And the stories he told. Another one was like, in a week, in 77, we had Glenn Campbell, Orbison and Dolly Parton. On. And you met them all? Yeah. And Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers, who uh, just recently died, yeah. country and western legend. And, and, and of course, a gentleman was Mathis. Johnny Mattis. And how I met him, Steve, the tour manager, in the interval, uh, he brought him over to introduce me. He said, hello, Dave, I'm John. And he asked me how he spelled Liverpool in Spencer. He told him how it was spelt. And he said to me, he said, oh, no, no, I, 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 fuck that. And he went like that. I said, listen, Dave, he said, we had a little chat. And he said, listen, I've got a nice picture for you when we're done. He said, I better get on stage before I forget my fucking lines. But I asked him, I said, he didn't think from West Side Story. He said, Kurt, I'm doing a 12-minute medley. And he was brilliant. And Steve actually said that was the best he did him sing in a while. Really? He was on form, yeah, 93. But I wonder if you can tell us, which I always think is fascinating, a fantastic story, about many years ago, you worked and you came across Tom Jones. And then recently, or whatever it was in the 90s or 2000s, he came back to the Empire and you were invited up into no, that his was, dressing that, room. That was 99, yeah, because... Yeah. Well, just tell us from yeah, the word yeah, go out. Oh, oh, you years. know, you were working, and you, you, I don't, I don't want to tell the story. But oh. you came across his manager, didn't you? Dan? What happened? Well, I don't know what it was. I'd, I'd been doing the, the rigs, 
doing a get in, just tell Latin. people what that is. They're doing the rig, and they get in. These are technical terms. They well, work well, behind the scenes, you know, um, as light man and whatever stage and whatever you want to call it, kind of technician in the Liverpool Empire Theatre. And all these stars were coming on, and uh, Tom Jones was on there, and basically put the rig up. I went home, come back, and we all made Cliffy and Dave Stargold, the security. The coach pulled up, and they made. A path, there's loads of fans there, especially loads of women. And the coach door up, and me and Cliffy were waiting to get him by the arms and walk him in. And as the coach door up, just like old times, kid, got him in. And his, his lad, big lad Malcolm, they all went in. And uh, I wanted some folks he's doing, which he'd uh, brought with me. And spoke to a guy called Perry Cooper Perco, because he gave me his car from New Jersey. In the end, went up, said hello, uh, basically little bit of a chat and he signed thing going on about years ago we had this big cigar he done this yeah that's for you kid young dave because i got that name through rocky and jimmy in the early mid 70s because i was the kid no but you spoke to him for like half an hour a long time you're in his dressing room weren't you really well no it was about 15 minutes old told because well, i it's long enough i actually said look i know you're a busy man and you know yeah but he I, was fascinated he was he was kind of pleased to see you wasn't he yeah he was a gentleman just yeah. a pure gents i mean other times, just, just, I remember one concert he was doing, I mean, on the stage, he said, it was such a great time to the Wookiee. The Wookiee Hollow. Wookie Hollow, which used to be a cabaret club in Liverpool so in the he, 70s, So, which Tom Jones was there. But he, he, he was the one, really, even more than Mr T, would you say, that had charisma and... Oh, yeah, I mean, I mean Tom Jones had bucket loads, and I think... But this, t- just tell us briefly about how you met Mr T from the A-team. Well, again... And he, how you became close friends with Mr T. He was just appearing in Panto, and... You know, I'm on the crew there, having a good laugh. I was an older head as well. And it just went from there. And we used to, have a, used to have a good laugh on Christmas. Me and Derek, the chief electrician, got dressed up, as we used to do uh, at Christmas. And I was dressed up as Robin. And I'd seen John, the company manager, he said, go up and see him. So he's lying on his Chesterfield. And I kicked the door, back the door and said, who's that? So I burst in. He said, I ain't never seen a ball, Robin. Well, it just went from there. And, we, and he's got to have a photograph. And I said, he said, and give him his jewelry. He went, I've got to put my jewelry on. I've said this story many times. Yeah, yeah. And his safe door was open. And I said, Hey, T, your safe door's open. He said, David, I'm going to see someone come in, put my jewelry on, walk out with both legs intact. So we had this photograph, and it was just it was just a lovely, lovely, warm fella and a big lad. And that picture, that first picture we've got of me and him. And he's got his, as you can see his face, this joy in his face. And I'm like, like this. And he's got his arm around me nearly crushing me. And he was just a he was just a, a great fella, he was just a lovely fella. Well, he used to say to Peter Cook and me, "You're the coolest guys in town." <laughs> and um, there was a who else was there? You keep forgetting because you you trip over yourself thinking about people. But in, in telly, um, it was so different. But we had like uh, they used to call us the Liverpool Mafia: me, Wilkie, Bernie Robinson, Davy Thompson, and them. And uh, we did um, Crown Court. I did a few episodes of that. The big dramas were in 12, of course, when we did Leah with uh, Larry King Olivia. Leah, yeah, play King on Leah, the television. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that went out Easter 83, filmed it uh, September 82. You do loads of stuff like that, like New Brighton Rock. But then I went on nights, as you know. I went on the night crew. We did the turnarounds in the night, like the Dirty Dozen. So you weren't involved in filming as much as you were when you were on days because we did the turnarounds in studio at night. You know, the old when the street was twice a week, you see. And then... Um, oh, nice see, yeah. yeah. And, and then obviously then, I mean, me, you know, I love my opera, so I don't go on too much because some people aren't big opera fans. But Dennis O'Neill had great charisma. And then you're talking tenors and, and singers. The great Willard White, uh, one of the best bass baritones in the world. You know, you see these people on stage. And a great scouser and a great Liverpool fan, sadly, he's passed away now, was a lad called Alberto Remedius, one of the best Wagnerian tenors ever. And doing the ring cycle on the Empire, yeah. he come off stage and goes, Liverpool getting on. <laughs> we played Stoke that night, David Johnson scored April, April 80. And there's this man fettered by kings and queens. How the Reds getting on? You know, it's just that. Great. Well, what we're going to do, we'll, we'll call it a day now. Right, we will be featuring Dave very heavily on a podcast, basically, very kind which of is, revolves <laughs> around him, not just as a kind of a guest. So I'll leave it to... Uh, Will, to sign off now, to say goodbye to everyone of you two can spot places. So yeah, I feel a little bit different in this position, but um, 
Dave, just before we go, uh, hi again to everyone, first of all. It's great to see Dave here, and we're going to have a proper long-form podcast with Dave. If anyone's got questions for Dave, young Dave, should I say, then feel free to throw them in the comments or, or message us on Facebook or email or whatever. I'll make sure that those questions are put to Dave. Before we go, Dave, me and Frank obviously had a long chat today, which was quite negative at times. Mm. In the right way, you know, we were trying to be productive with yeah. the circumstances and the hand that we've been dealt of late. Basically, throughout this lockdown period and, and the last lockdown and what's been going on, Dave's been sending out motivational texts that, are, that have picked up the emotions and, and picked up the spirits of all my friends anyway. To anyone who, who might be struggling with the lockdown and with what's going on from a mental aspect, is there anything that you'd give them with regards to a little bit of advice and a little bit of chunk of, of, of your wisdom that could help them? Well, basically, all your tomorrows are yet to come. From a personal point of view, at this moment in time, without going into too much detail, my yeah. mum is rather poorly. She's had COVID. She's 94 this year and... Uh, she had pneumonia and it's not looking good. But even so, um, for all of us out there, this is just a kick up the arse that was expected to happen. Uh, I feel for the younger generation because if I was 19, 20, I'd be climbing the walls. But get the vaccine. You know, and as I said, we spoke, but I'm trying to put a positive slant on this in yeah. perspective. I, as a kid, had the polio vaccine. It was a spoon with a lump of sugar. And, uh, I wanted another one, but you're already allowed one. These things are sent to try us. Th these are the things that make us, and, and hopefully, I mean, me, really, I've given up till June, which is my birthday in June, so I'm being a bit selfish. But there's method in the madness. Um, whoever was in power, I don't think, things could have been done different. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Yeah. But the main thing is, your tomorrows are to come. This is something, and we will appreciate everything a lot more, I would expect, especially the footy, uh, especially with a full house at Anfield or whatever, whoever your team is. Yeah. So just try and keep that positive edge. And as Frank and Will were saying, talk to anyone, talk to the wall, I do, get more sense. Yeah. And just be thankful for what you've got, New Year are. I mean, we spoke with Frank there. I've been a lucky lad. I was just... There at the right time, I had a great career. I've got other mates like myself, and we reminisce. And no matter who it is, I mean, I've always been brought up, especially by mum and dad. You know, you treat people the way you treat yourself. So treat yourselves, treat others the right way, the positive way, and we'll all see each other on the other side of this. Certainly, and uh, Dave's been a great spirit of resilience over the last 12 months, especially for me and my circle, and bringing a bit of positivity to everyone and uh, I'd like to bring him on more to bring a bit of positivity to all of you who are watching this and I hope you've enjoyed this little cameo that uh, he was on with Frank and myself and Dave came up with a line in 2020 it is now and it sticks with all of us we love it and Dave just tell him what it is you have to get up early if you want to fuck with us exactly I'll leave you with that one see you all later God nice bless one. take care